Good morning to all. Good to see you today. I, I trust you've had a, a, a great time with family over the last few days. Uh, I know we have. It's been an ongoing process, which is always enjoyable, isn't it? Catching up on a regular basis with family. And so the, we've been considering the birth of Jesus over this last few days, haven't we? And the significance of it and the things that it means. Great joy to all people. To you is born a saviour who is Christ the Lord. How good is that when we consider that? The saviour, Christ the Lord. But today we come to time after the birth of Jesus, which is not happiness and brightness, but darkness. So to bring you a sad, something sad this morning. We've got to think about sad things sometimes, don't we? Time of darkness and sadness. So in this, this passage we've read, there's a, there's a hero and a villain. Ooh, I like those sort of stories, yeah? Melodramas. Hero and a villain. But first, before we get to either of those, let's just run through the story, the, the, the key parts we want to think about, and then we'll, we'll expand on some of those things. So you, you'll notice that the, the wise men, we didn't start right at the beginning because you're familiar with that story, but I just wanted to pick it up at the point where we were, where we read. The wise men came to the house where Jesus was. Hang on, house, wasn't he, weren't the wise men in the stable? Come on, you got it wrong there, that can't be right. Uh, well, actually, they did come to the house, didn't they? You've got to be careful of Christmas card theology, don't you? We've all seen the Christmas cards and the wise men and the shepherds all there together. Actually, it wasn't like that. Because these are, this is some time after the stable incident when the wise men came. We, we noticed from, from when they, uh, Herod questioned them carefully about when they'd seen the star and later on he killed the children who were two years old and younger. So you'd have to say it was in uh, maybe 12 months later or even a bit more than that when this incident is happening. They're out of the stable, they're in the house, not a babe anymore, as referred to as a young child. And so um, this, is, so this is where the, the shepherds came, we were in the house. And God warned them, the shepherds, not to go back to Herod as he'd asked them to, but to go home, uh, the other, straight home was the quicker way actually, a long way around to go back to, to Jerusalem. So they headed off home and God told Joseph that Jesus' life was, was under threat. And in verse 13, he talks about, they had told him to, to go to Egypt, to flee to Egypt. So, his, so he, right at the early days of Jesus' life, here's this family, they, they were refugees. They were driven from their own country in fear of their lives. We hear that story a bit nowadays, don't we? And they, well, they were asylum seekers in Egypt. How up to date is this? The whole, the world has got all these people on the move, hasn't it, all the time? And here's Jesus and his parents on the move, driven out of their homeland and, 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 and going to live in Egypt. And of course, Herod was furious, absolutely furious when he, when he realised he'd been outsmarted by people who were smarter than he. Wouldn't have been that hard, I wouldn't have thought, but you know, these, these were pretty wise men that he was dealing with here. But the key is that God had spoken to them and sent them on the way. And so Herod goes out, and as we said before, any boy, he, he did his calculations, any boy, two years old or under, he killed them all. 
just hard to conceive, isn't it? Just hard to grasp. We don't know how many there would be. It wasn't just in Bethlehem. There wouldn't have been that many maybe in Bethlehem that age, but then the outlying countries it talks about there and out further. And so um, he uh, he had all these these children brutally killed. His stated desire, of course, was to the wise men that he was going to go and worship the new king. Uh, but he he was he claimed to be the king of of this of, of Israel, and so he wasn't going to let any other one be a king. Let's think about the hero in the story. That's Joseph. He's a bit of an unforgotten character in some respects. He just some, comes from nowhere, as it were. <clears throat> Never heard of him before, and suddenly he's here, Joseph. And outside of the Christmas story, we know very little about about Joseph. But we do do learn some very interesting things about him in these couple of chapters. We want to just look at at some of those things. In chapter 1 of Matthew, uh, this is after when the angel came and spoke to him when he was having a vision. And, uh, And the angel told him what was going to happen. A bit of a shock to discover that the one you're betrothed to is pregnant and you know he had nothing to do with it and he's told to take home, marry her, live a normal life. Pretty tough stuff, isn't it? Verse 20, But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her as from the Holy Spirit. And down to verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary home as his wife. He did exactly what he was told. I like that. The man that we know nothing about, but we do know that when God spoke to him, he was obedient to the letter, to the very letter. He went home and did exactly what he was told. And we get similar things over in chapter 2, verse verse 13. Here's Joseph again. When the wise men had gone, an, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Verse 14. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Didn't wait till the morning. God said go and he went. Obedience. That's good, isn't it? I like that. During the night, straight away, he got up and left. And then in in, uh, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the mother and his child and went to the land of Israel. Once again, spoken to by God. Three times now, an angel has appeared to him in a vision and spoken to him. That's pretty unique in itself. But three times he's obeyed immediately and, and, and gone, in, gone and done what he was told to do. Then the last dream that he had and God spoke to him was verse 
22 of that same chapter. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in Nazareth. So four times God spoke to him over a short period of time and four times he obeyed. We don't learn anything else about him. He's mentioned a couple of times by name through the rest of the Gospels, but that's it. If that's all we know about Joseph, what a great man. No wonder God chose him to, to, for this important role. He wasn't the father of Jesus. I guess he was the stepfather the way we term it because God the Holy Spirit was the one that came upon Mary. Uh, but he was called to fulfil this important role and he did it to the letter of the law, exactly as they're being told to do. Willing to obey God, to be used by God in a culturally difficult situation, and immediately did all that God called him to do. I think we all need to learn to be a Joseph, don't we? To do the things that God calls us to do and do them immediately and obediently. So there's the hero. What about the villain? Herod, obviously. Uh, traditionally, this is, this, this is known as Herod's slaughter of the holy innocents. That's one of the, the churches that follow the traditional sequence of things. That's what they call it. His slaughter of the holy innocents. For Herod, Jesus was just an inconvenience and a threat. Another king? Let's deal with this. He dealt with the only way that he, that he thought of. He was a, a, a cruel, evil, brutal man. History tells us clearly that that's the sort of person he was. And he, and his, his immediate thought was, he's a threat? Kill this child and get rid of it. Solve the problem, that's easy, we'll move on. Easy. But Jesus wasn't, he was, he, Jesus came to this world with the sole purpose of dying, well, not, not under the hand of this Herod. Interesting, it was the, the son of this Herod who was in cohorts with, with uh, um, Pilate at the, at the trial of Jesus. And so the, his son had something a little to do with the death of Jesus, indirectly. But Jesus wasn't going to die at the hand of this Herod, even though he was going to die. Unique, was it born to die? We're all born to live, aren't we, and live a fulfilling life. But his, Jesus was born to die. But the Herod wasn't going to be the one that was going to do that. So, so Jesus and the family left and went, went down to Egypt. Uh, some of the, the uh, um, Jewish historians like Josephus and other Jewish writers indicate that Herod died within a few months of this event. So maybe they weren't in Egypt very long, because they were maybe only a few months. Who knows? But but they were told as soon as uh, um, Herod died that they left and came back again. Can you imagine the pain and the agony of those families? What's this little innocent child done to deserve this brutal death? So it just 
touches the heart, doesn't it, when you think about it? Yeah, the, the, the quote there in the, in the reading was from Jeremiah 31. Let me give it to you again. A voice is heard in Ramah, or Bethlehem, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I wonder, would this happen in our world today? No, surely not. Well, actually, it does, doesn't it? Lots of times. Our world is really no better than it was then. In fact, I suspect it might be worse in some regards. Here was the, the first clash of religion and politics in the Christian history. The, the persecution of, of Christians uh, for their faith continues today as it, as it started off in those very first times. And, and around the world today, we, you know, we can think about our brothers and sisters in many countries like North Korea. The, the absolute brutality of, of the regime there is just unbelievable. Uh, Saudi Arabia, don't you put your head up as a Christian in Saudi Arabia or you might have it cut off, might you? Or China, uh, closing up in a big way in the last couple of years. So around the world there's, there's families that are suffering the same kind of treatment to varying degrees as, as um, Herod was up to in those days. So that in a way there's, there's not, not a lot of difference. So the, is the, uh, Heartbreaking image of these children being slaughtered. Um, does that stir us to think today of, of the needs of our world, of the, of the struggles, the difficulties of many families in the world? The, the massacre of innocent lives continues across our world today. We, we think of some of the, the things that we see in our papers, appalling things happening. People treated so terribly and so cruelly. And what does it, what does it touch? What does it do to me as a Christian, as a believer in Christ? Do I just sort of, you know, that's them over there, they, they deserve that, you know, whatever. What's, what's our attitude going to be? You know, the, the, uh, uh, stories of genocide and refugee camps and, uh, hunger and disease and displacement, are, they're still very common today, aren't they? Not a lot of difference to what it was in these very days of Jesus that we're thinking about now. So what's, what's my attitude to the poor and the downtrodden and meeting their needs? What's your attitude? Well, I can tell you, let me t- talk about mine. My whole, whole world was shaken and changed when I went for the first visit to a government orphanage in China in 1995. It was appalling. It was in those times when, when it was hit in the newspapers about dying rooms in China when some orphanages were taking children who weren't worth living, weren't, you know, they're no, they're no value in these kids, and letting them starve to death in a room. You know, it's, yeah, this is, this is our, it's happening now still in our world today. And as I went into this orphanage and, and saw four or five children and little kids all in beds together side by side, with their feeding bottle propped up, the hole had been large so they could glug it down quicker, and and, and there was you know, kids everywhere and very few staff to look after them, no stimulus or anything like that, and out in, in the, the courtyard area, probably about the same area as this room here, there was an open drain across the middle and kids were on potty chairs without the potty underneath and was... was 
in these chairs over the open drain, arms tied to the to the arms of the chair so they couldn't get out, and uh, they hosed down the drain at the end of the day, and then they took the kids back inside. Now this is this is real world stuff. This is things that that have really impacted my life. Things that are that are that that are happening in our world and. What do we do about it? Here we are in Australia, great life, comfortable, good income, everything's okay, bit of a pandemic. But hang on, around the world, this is just one place. There's thousands of incidences of that. And I think we as Christians need to get our hearts stirred and challenged by what, by what is happening on. I just want to pick up another couple of things from that first visit. Because I was there looking at an old building that had to be renovated to set up a home for needy children, abandoned disabled children, out of this very orphanage. And the following year we took about 30 people back to do a huge renovation job and about 30 children moved into this home over the next few months. Let me tell you about a couple of those children because there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Wang Wa had cerebral palsy very distorted, twisted body. Her, her voice was very distorted too. Her mind was sharp as anything. She was one of the first children taken out of this orphanage. She was there that day when I was there. I don't remember her. She was there that day when I was there. She was one of the first children taken out and put into this new home, Oasis House. You know what she's up to today? She's got her own wheelchair she works, she's learned how to use a computer somehow with that, you know, the way she, with her distorted actions. And she now is, is, is working in ICC's sponsorship department on the computer, writing stories about some of the other kids for the, to, who are being sponsored around the world. You know what? A lovely Christian young lady. Beautiful, beautiful young lady. Then let, let me tell you about Lee Shi, also cerebral palsy, also there on that same first day I was there. Lee Shi, physically he was able to walk around. Uh, Wang Wa wasn't able to walk, but Lee Shi could walk in, a, in an unusual kind of way. Physically, a twisted, distorted body, not too bad. Mind as sharp as a tack. And he also was in that first group that went into Oasis House. Just in, in uh, 2012, there's an article written about it. Let me read a little section of it. Li Shi lives in Changsha. He was one of the earliest children to be taken into the International China Concern Care and is a testament to the impact of giving hope, love and opportunity to the abandoned and disabled in China. Li Shi was born with cerebral palsy while having no effect on his mental ability, it heavily affects his physical abilities and his speech. When he was only five years old, his mother abandoned him. Li Shi was five years, this is down the page, Li Shi was five years old around this time. He remembers that, that no longer, uh, that not long after his father's death, his mother said she was taking him by train to Changsha to find a doctor to cure him. When they arrived, Li Shi looked around, fascinated by the city lights and the people and the, and the etc. at the train station. But after two hours, he realised that he was alone, and his mother had left him. Very common railway stations 
for abandoning children in China. He survived by begging for several months as part of a gang of young beggars until a good-hearted man brought him to the local welfare centre. A few years later, he entered the care of ICC, which is about the time I would have met him. Just down the page a bit more. After completing school, his ICC caregivers in caregiver, sorry, encouraged him to get a job and suggested selling newspapers on the street. He didn't like the idea because he thought no one would want to buy papers from a disabled person like him. Finally, he took the challenge and started to work. Li Shi, now 24 years old, this is in 2012, he sells new papers in the morning and his cleaning job is in the afternoon and he lives in one of ICC's care units. Li Shi not only holds down two jobs and lives independently, but he's also leader at a church in Changsha. Do you get that? He improves his Bible knowledge online and preaches regularly at the church services. His dream is to go to seminary school so that he can equip himself to better serve the church. While the Chinese seminary is not able to take disabled students at the time, Li Shi hopes that one day to be able, the, the dream would come true. And the person writing this said, when I first met Li Shi in Changsha, I saw a confident yet humble young man full of joy and trust, and I could sense no trace of bitterness in him. And he said, I was truly dead before, but Jesus Christ brought me from the death. Now, here's a young guy who the world has abandoned. No hope for him. Even lock him in a room and let him die might have happened if he hadn't been cared for. And he's just two people that I've mentioned. There's thousands of others. I could give you 20 or 30 others, but there's thousands of others around the world. Because some people don't care. What does it, yeah, what does it do to our hearts today? What, what does, how does it speak to us? It should challenge us, shouldn't it? As individuals. I hope it does. That there's many needs. Are we going to be like Herod? The slaughter of the innocents? You know, an attitude that doesn't care? Is that the same as doing what Herod did? Dare I ask you that? All this happened, you know, because a, a group of people had a, cho- a desire to listen to what Jesus said about the poor and needy and this world. These lives were transformed, beautifully transformed, because the message of Christ was taken in and shown through the love of Christ. What was Jesus' attitude towards the poor and needy? When Jesus was in this world, he was criticised often for being the friend of sinners. Well, how bad is that? Are you known as being a friend of sinner? Hmm. Let me give you a couple of passages uh, of, from Luke chapter 5, for example, in verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. Then down in Luke 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a terrible thing, isn't it? Welcoming sinners and eating with them. Good if we all could do that, wouldn't it? Next door neighbours or someone down the street or family members that maybe you don't get on so well with. So what was Jesus' attitude then towards the the children and the poor and the needy and the abandoned? What did he think about that? In Mark 10 we read, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place their hands on him. So so he'd place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Reminds us of us a bit, doesn't it? Get rid of their problem, these kids. We don't want them around here. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. So Jesus was, was the one that was drawing people in, encouraging people, wanting to, to uplift the poor and needy, wanting to have this, this non-herit attitude towards those that were in need. They weren't something to be disposed of or cast aside. Jesus wanted to draw them in. He wanted to, to use them as an example, in fact, and, and telling the people you need to be have this same simple childlike trust and faith like these children have. So Jesus challenged the people in his day and us today to model our discipleship on humility and trust, the same as the little children. Joseph has challenged us to be willing to obey God whatever the circumstances. That can be hard sometimes, can't it? Did you hear what I said? Whatever the circumstances? Very difficult sometimes, isn't it? Because we all have circumstances that are tough and it's hard to obey sometimes in those times. That's the challenge of Joseph. Herod's actions and, and attitude challenge us to be just the opposite to Herod. He had a, a, a hatred for anyone that wasn't he wasn't interested in. Despise them, kill them, get rid of these these kids. I might just get rid of the, this supposed king of the Jews. That was his attitude. So he challenged us to be the opposite to that. To have a love and concern for the poor and needy and the refugees and the asylum seekers. Politically, not very popular thing to say sometimes, isn't it? In some circles. But that's what Jesus was like. That's what he did. He had this this uh, love and concern for these people. We can't solve all the problems, but we can have a heart of have the the Jesus heart of love. And as Christians and members of this church, we're challenged to to seek and help out such people. Yeah, we live in a, in a fairly middle class affluent area, here, don't we? And, and we sort of we we worship in that, and we sort of mostly live in that kind of area. There's a lot of need out up and down this street here. There's there's hurt and pain. You, you can't see it, can you? But it's there. 
broken families, sadness, children despised. I just admire the, the people that, that do Kids Hope at Monty Primary School. Touching that very spot, isn't it? Touching where it hurts the most. That's, that's the sort of thing that we as a church need to be building on and doing more and more. Being like Jesus and having this, this non-herit attitude to the people around us. And we need to be thinking too about and supporting families within our own church. I just love seeing all the young families here. Just, it's wonderful. These little kiddies here. We need to be praying for them and supporting the families, supporting the, the, the parents in the, in the, in the, just the everyday life things so that we don't have, uh, the Herod attitude towards even kiddies in our church. You know, they're, oh, they're making a noise and all the sorts of things we can, hang on, hang on. These are families that need our support and our, and our care and our prayer. You know, the, Ephesians 6 talks about that they, they would bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We need to be praying for all of our young families, don't we? So that they too would, would learn these, these things and be able to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And maybe the, the children, the young people we've, I've given you a couple of examples about from China will also challenge us to pray for those serving the Lord in this way. They even challenge us to go out and be servants there. Now that would be a challenge, wouldn't it? There's lots of opportunities in around the world to be Christ-like to those people in need. Let's have a non-Herod attitude towards the, the needy and the poor around about us so that we might be able to uplift the name of Christ in all that we do and support those that are serving in that way. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for your word. And from this passage, Lord, you've, you've taught us things we need to be challenged about and need to think deeply about. And we praise you, Father, for, for being able to open it and, and learn from it together today. Speak to our hearts. Change us, even if change is needed, with our attitudes and, and, the, and the way we that we live for you, Lord, that we might be the light of Christ in this dark world that, 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 that we're living in now. Take us safely home, bless us this week ahead of us, and bring us back as we return again this uh, next Sunday, we pray. Just bless all those who are here with us together and all those that are out there online listening and learning. Just be with us all this week ahead of us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.